watched a couple episodes of Record of Lotus War once. I guess that counts. It was based on a D&D campaign. I'll give it to you. started Mundangerous Studios in New York City. I'm your host Shane. And I'm your host Ishan. And welcome to episode 44 of Total Party Thrill, a podcast for game masters and players where we discuss our campaigns in order to inspire yours. In this episode, we're talking about the first session of your campaign, session zero. But first, the party goes shopping in the Morning Glory campaign, and the Fist of the Forest beats her chest in the Character Creation Forge. So we've got a DMG review, much promised. We do. For those of you who don't know, we are reviewing Dungeon Master's Guild material because many of the ratings we've found aren't really reliable. They don't have a standard rubric, so we put one together. Yeah, so if you've written content for the DMs Guild or you found stuff that you think deserves some extra attention, please drop us a line at totalpartythrill at gmail.com or on Twitter at tptcast. But this week, we are reviewing The Blood Hunter, a new class for 5th edition by Matt Mercer. This is the first base class that we've reviewed, but we're actually using the same criteria that we used for the Lightborn, the race that we reviewed two weeks ago. Yeah, player content. It's all kind of the same, right? So that is presentation, what it looks like, how it's laid out. Uh, is it good to look at? Is it free of typos? Lore. Yeah, that's the story element of the class. What is it bringing to the game world? Mechanics, how well written are the actual crunchy bits. And then the flavor, how well do the mechanics actually map to the lore that's described in the the flavor text of the class. And then playability, are players going to want to use this content and is a GM going to allow it at their table? (laughs) Yeah. So that name, Matt Mercer, is a little popular in the community. He is the dungeon master for the very popular show Critical Role over on Geek and Sundry. A bit of a disclaimer, neither of us watch it. Nope. So we have no idea what a blood hunter is in that context. (laughs) But it seems that they're pretty good. Yeah. uh, What they do. I guess they're martial characters who hunt undead, fey, and fiends by kind of sacrificing their humanity a little bit. They sort of inscribe their blood to hunt them, I guess. We've talked before that we've wanted to, and we sort of miss in 5th edition, those blood mage type characters. Any kind of character that hurts themselves in order to do more damage or gain some kind of special ability. We both like those kinds of mechanics, and you don't really see much of it in 5th edition. So that part was nice to see. Yeah, and then you add Hunter into the name, and it makes me think of, hey, is this a viable ranger? <laughs> Could it be? I would love to see one of those. <laughs> also, it's a really beautiful PDF. Oh, yeah. it's The art's great. Mm-hmm. The layout, all that stuff is good, and it's well-written. You know, it's cleanly edited, so. Right, the prose isn't too purple. I noticed very clean copy. There are barely any typos. Yeah, so let's talk a little bit about what the class brings to the table, right? So its main ability is Crimson Right, which is extra damage it gets on its weapon attacks. In order to get that extra damage, you need to sacrifice some of your maximum HP. 
yeah, it is basically one HP per level. So it's a fighter, you know, martial archetype class. Uh, sorry, it's not a fighter archetype. It is a martial class. So it has a D10 hit die that effectively brings it down to a D8 when you use this extra damage. Right. It's so like a little bit softer. A, a negative toughness feat. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, and that damage scales from 1D4 at first level to plus 1D12 at 20th level. On every attack. On every attack. Uh, it also has this Hunter's Bane ability, which helps you in tracking the Fey undead uh, fiends, those types of creatures. It's a really versatile class because the three different subclasses all also have many different options. Oh, we haven't even gotten through all the abilities of the base class, Ishan. <laughs> it gets a fighting style like all the martial classes. Well... It doesn't get an option of all the fighting styles, just the good ones. Just the good ones, right. yeah. If, if you were disappointed that you couldn't be a great weapon fighting ranger, fear not. <laughs> the Blood Hunter has you covered. You can take archery, dueling, great weapon fighting, or two weapon fighting. Those are all four of the good ones. You also get this, at sixth level, another kind of iconic class feature, Blood Maledict, which are basically blood curses that you can invoke a couple times per short or long rest. What do you think of those? They come in two degrees, the sort of baseline ability, and then you can sacrifice a few more HP to amplify them and get a stronger effect. I, I like the amplify idea. I like the idea that you can pay a little bit more to get a bonus effect. Uh, they're all too powerful. I, I mean... They're not all too powerful. In in aggregate, it's too powerful. It's too powerful. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the recurring theme here. <laughs> like, I, I think we're at the point where we can't really hide the fact that all of this is way too powerful. Yeah. Well, here, let's go through the rubric, and when we get to mechanics, we'll get to it. Oh, my God. Okay, fine. We can do that. All right. All right. So the first part of the rubric presentation. It's a beautiful PDF. We already said that. Yeah, it's definitely a five for that. Mm -hmm. it, this, is, this is what DMG content should look like. It's as good as published. Right. And Matt Mercer did the design as well. Yeah. Uh, how about lore? Like I said, I really like the idea of the Blood Mage. Uh, I think it's a very cool flavor. Yeah, I love the idea that you are kind of on the brink, right? You're playing with fire as you're trying to hunt down these very evil, horrible creatures, right? right. It's it's something that is has been around in fantasy before, though, so it's not totally new no so. it's not it's not new but it's new to fifth edition right it's a solid four right and they talk about a little bit in there as well the costs of this right that people see you differently because you've made the sacrifice so it, it gets a little bit of that warlock kind of flavor right. i like it well let's move on to mechanics because you can get a lot more than warlock <laughs> oh, flavor you can get a lot more than flavor <laughs> uh yeah you can just become a half warlock you just you can just poach the warlock spellcasting class feature yep and that's 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 that, one of the sub subclasses <laughs> right it's part of one of the subclasses well, yeah on top of the crimson right damage which by the way when you do the math that's more than a barbarian gets uh yeah so plus 1d12 is like getting an extra great weapon attack yeah the barbarian tops out at plus four extra damage while raging, while raging. right yeah. this is plus 6.5 yeah <laughs> it's it pains me to read right plus a fighting style plus the blood curses plus a subclass that is it's a large each subclass is large you get multiple class features well let's talk about the subclasses okay all right so the first subclass for those of you keeping score at home the 
most playable, I suppose. The Order of the Ghost Slayer. It basically ties you towards dealing with undead, as the name implies. It gives you radiant damage as a possible uh, crimson right damage type, and then it gives you some handy abilities for dealing with undead. This is mm, roughly in line with what you would expect a subclass to be. If the base class was balanced. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Then you have the Order of the Profane Soul, which is you actually get a patron just like a warlock. You get warlock pact magic. It stacks with warlock pact magic for multi-classing purposes. And on top of that, depending on which patron you use, you get actual bonus abilities. I don't see why you would bother being a warlock with this class. Like it just it's just better than a warlock. Yeah, as though the extra couple spell slots and slightly higher level spells were what made the warlock good. <laughs> right? Right. Like, like it's Eldritch Blast. <laughs> That's what the warlock does. Did you want to be a bladelock and also a ranger? Right. <laughs> and also a fighter and a barbarian? Yeah. Here you go. Hey, you're giving up Pact of the Tome. Oh, okay. Well. <laughs> and I can't get my pseudo dragon. Right. <laughs> And then last but not least, and by far the most ridiculous, the Order of the Mutant. This one is sort of an alchemist-type build, so he gets these formulas which allow you to modify your body's biology, basically, to gain benefits at a certain cost. And the benefits are just so out of line with anything else allowed anywhere in the game. You have things like you can raise an ability score above 20. Nothing else gets that until level 20. Yeah. There's a cost benefit, right? You get a boost, but then you also take a negative side effect. But many of the side effects are just never going to come into play when you would actually use the boost. You know, there's a a skill-based benefit and then a combat drawback. Well, why would you ever use it in combat? Yeah, and I mean, some of these are just obscenely overpowered. Like... You can increase your crit range at the cost of half healing. Well, why are you healing in combat? <laughs> it's it's hard enough to heal in combat already. It I doesn't mean, matter. Let alone that that is the fighter's iconic ability, which you have now just stolen with a potion. Yeah, wholesale. <laughs> right. Stole it from the champion. <laughs> oh, actually, speaking of stealing things, uh, I did find it interesting that there is now a viable arcane archer. It comes in the warlock pact. Right. <laughs> So so not only do you have Eldritch Blast, but you can now deliver your spells airmail. Right. <laughs> or, you know, in your sword, so who needs a smite? Yeah, uh, yeah. All right, so how do you rate the mechanics? There are some interesting ideas here, but this is so overly broken. It's a two. I would say the new mechanics are rather ill-considered, and the way it recycles existing mechanics is uninspired it is just disappointing what i really want to talk about is the flavor (laughs) okay like i said i like the idea of you become what you hunt Mm -hmm. um don't you think there should be a mechanic that somehow maps to that i maybe they hunt mary sue's Uh, maybe yeah well oh that (laughs) makes sense they just hunt themselves They gave the abilities of their prey so (laughs) that must be what they hunt because they do everything well I mean, the only thing this class doesn't get is Wish. Yeah, it's the only only thing. Oh, it's Capstone. It removes all costs of all of its abilities. Right. <laughs> just just casually. Not that it 
really was much of a cost to begin with. Right. Yeah. You're not losing that one hit point per level anymore. Right. At level one, who cares about one hit point? Yeah. And at level 20, who cares who about cares 20, 20 hit, hit points? points? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. But no, the most egregious thing to me is that it is tied to hunting fey, fiends, undead. Let's have some specialization. And I thought they were going that way with the Order of the Ghost Slayer. So I was like, okay, cool. This is the undead killer. Now tell me about the fiend killer and the fey killer. No, screw that. Now we got the half warlock and we've got the mutated monster thing. I don't I don't know. Wow. So the flavor score? Uh two. So the last one is playability. Well Can we I... give a zero? <laughs> okay. I cannot imagine any player that would not want to play this class. Yeah, I would like to use it in the character creation forge, please. For just everything. For everything. Right. Yeah. Everything except things that need wish. Right. Yeah. I would never ever allow this at my table uh yeah don't pay money for this don't allow this at your table don't ask your dm unless i don't know maybe if you're listening to critical role and you want to use all of the classes that matt mercer has written maybe they're all balanced against each other i have no idea right or if everyone's a blood hunter because you know one can be the fighter blood hunter and one can be the barbarian blood hunter and the other can be the warlock blood hunter. right yeah i i guess and they can all be the ranger yeah this is something that we haven't really talked about in terms of the way that we review Dungeon Masters Guild material. It is quite possible that this could be balanced at a particular table. But at a generic table, at most tables, this is going to step on so many toes of other classes and other players if it's allowed, which means that you need to homebrew or change it for your table anyway, and it requires so much changing that why would you pay for it you could just make up a class on your own yeah yeah you really couldn't do worse honestly in terms of balance it's gonna blow up your game like no martial character is gonna possibly compare to this yeah just just gestalt all the regular classes and you get this yeah yeah exactly (laughs) with none of the drawbacks of the multi-classing right right so all right average all those scores and we get it's a 3.0 average, which tells me that our rating system is flawed. <laughs> right, because it got so many points on presentation and lore. And lore, yeah. But we, I, I can't recommend this. I mean, yeah, it, it, it is a one-star product as far as I'm concerned for the DM's Guild, and only because you can't give it zero. It's unplayable. Mm-hmm. Beautifully written, unplayable. If you want this type of flavor, like if you think the Blood Hunter is a cool idea, I would recommend going to the Monster Hunter from Unearthed Arcana. Mm-hmm. It's a little powerful compared to Base Fighter, but it's way more in line with the normal realm of possibilities in D&D. Like this thing is just too crazy. Right. Here's how crazy it is. I wouldn't even add Rogue One. <laughs> yeah. It's that good. Yeah. At no point would it benefit from Rogue One. <laughs> it wouldn't benefit from any dip. <laughs> anyway oh it gets extra attack at fifth level yeah i saw that <laughs> so you know it gets it gets extra crimson right damage as well it's, it's insane anyway hey at least it's pay what you want right oh but it's averaging over a dollar fifty i cannot believe people are paying this much for it let's talk about things that we like okay for the rest of the episode things that we like <laughs> and or love like morning glory When last we left the party, they had just figured out most of their final prophecy, and that was pointing them in the direction of the Harvest of Pain, where the remnants of Katashka the Gatekeeper, the abstract that represented undeath, fell over 100,000 years before in the Fiend Dragon War. 
I like that. Yeah. But first, the party went shopping. I like that even more. <laughs> so we went to a cool little place called Isle Car. It actually exists in the lore. It's a humanoid city in the middle of Arganesson that is protected by stone giants and wyvern riders. It's very high magic. It was in three five. It was specifically meant for epic level adventuring, and you know, you guys were level sixteen. Yeah, at this somewhere point. in that range. Yeah. yeah. So this was about as close to epic as the party was going to get. So I was like, all right, guess what? I'm opening the coffers. Yeah. So Iola Car has a lot of special abilities. It's basically a market bazaar where I let everybody trade items on a one-for-one basis, so a rare for a rare, a very rare for a very rare, etc. Yeah, so the first thing we did is trade out some books. Yes. So I dubbed the books that increase your ability score, right, the Manual of Quickness of Action, things like that, uh, in total as the Encyclopedia Ascendi. I told everyone you can benefit from up to one volume per stat. Yeah, and so we had received a full set uh, as part of the Horde, for killing, what was that dragon's name? Astaroth. Astaroth. Astaroth the Mad. Yeah. After we smite-murdered him yeah, yeah, <laughs> and, and you know, did our work for the chamber, they gave us his horde, and we found the complete set. Unfortunately, the sorcerer, the bard, and the warlock were all pretty interested in that charisma book. <laughs> so we had to go do some trading. <laughs> That's right. You swapped it out. Everybody eventually got their own charisma it, book. Turns out nobody wanted Khan. <laughs> funny how that works hmm. so yes yeah, so we got it all swapped out and then we started doing some work on our other tiers of magic item our legendaries are very rare so this was our chance to kind of specialize our characters right exactly and it was also a chance for me to sort of sit back and let them do things because up until this point i had been pretty careful about curating the magic items that were available to the party and I was picking specifically things that would work well for a character or that pushed someone in a direction that I thought would be good for them like giving the bard more damage yeah things like that yeah uh, forcing her to use a longbow instead of a crossbow right right because she had extra yeah. attack but couldn't use it <laughs> so at this point I didn't want to have to pick all of their high level magic items I just said hey open the dmg that's what's available except for like these eight legendary items that are super broken and i'm not allowing yeah so no staff of the arch magi just robes yep <laughs> I, nobody took an apparatus of qualish i don't understand why yeah it was it was a it was a tough call it would have been really really useful if anyone had taken it i would have made it very useful yeah <laughs> i sometimes still regret that to this day just, I guess we'll never know. I just wonder what ancient evil could be buried at the bottom of the ocean. <laughs> All of them. Yeah. <laughs> so after the party was finally done with that, they prepared to head to the Harvest of Pain. And they had been given coordinates by the dragons. And when they finally teleported there, they found themselves in an open, blighted savanna, slowly turning into marshland. And we'll find out what happens next, next week. So this week, we're talking about Session Zero, which we touched upon a bit all the way back in Episode 2. Yeah, so Episode 2, we covered how to start a new campaign, all the things that go into planning a campaign and, and beginning one. We talked about Session Zero as part of that, but now we're going to dig into how does Session Zero work and why do it. So Ishan, what is Session Zero? It is the actual game session that you have before the campaign officially starts so some people call it the quote-unquote character creation session yeah 
it's the one where you all get together and you start working on your character sheets. Yeah. <laughs> start planning your backgrounds, figure out what is this campaign going to be. Obviously, for one-shots and things like that, you're not going to do this, but we're big proponents of it if you are planning to have any kind of campaign with legs, one yeah. that's going to last for a while. Yeah. Uh, the more time you plan in investing in your campaign, the more value you're going to get out of spending one session doing this. Yeah, and it can be a lot of fun if done properly. It doesn't need to be all paperwork. It's nice to sort of be able to talk across the table about, you know, oh, where is your character from? Maybe, like, we know each other. Oh, wait, are you going to take this class or... This subclass, let's make sure that we're not stepping on each other's toes and doing the same thing. Do we have this skill covered? Yeah, so let's talk about that. So what are some of the benefits of actually doing a session zero? I think it in-game allows the characters to feel like they can begin as a cohesive party. It's so much easier to start if a few characters have bonds with each other and you can talk about them ahead of time or have some history rather than just hey you check the help wanted section in the tavern yeah you don't have to have that you meet in a tavern you're guarding a caravan you all have a mutual benefactor <laughs> like all those kind of tropey ways that we start campaigns you can you can have something a little more substantial and the other thing too not just for the characters but for the players it's a good chance to set expectations mm -hmm. so getting your buy-in <laughs> of all of the players that this is a campaign that they're going to spend the next months or years of their life enjoying. Yeah. How many times have you created a character and then you find out that the, you find out in the first session, Oh, okay. Like my backstory doesn't really necessarily work with the direction that the story is going to go. Right. Right. Or like I built the Druid, but it's a city campaign. I kind of wish I had known that ahead of time. Yeah. Uh, tell me about the urban ranger. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, I, I chose, desert <laughs> as, as my preferred environment um could you help me get to a desert <laughs> no because like a lot of my class is tied to that <laughs> it's very low humidity in this office building right <laughs> does that count yeah so this gets everybody on the same page and headed in the same direction right? yeah and it all, also not just in terms of the mechanics of their characters but tone of the entire campaign or the game itself yeah you don't want to bring that over the top flamboyant jokey kind of character when everyone is playing their super serious and brooding dark you know heavy internal monologue characters yeah right? you don't want to play like my favorite background the child locked in a box <laughs> <laughs> when everyone else it's when it's an all bard party right you know? right yeah you don't want to bring your murder your favorite murder hobo yeah to the diplomacy campaign <laughs> right like, <laughs> Like, oh, yeah, unless we're... unless everyone else knows that's what you're, what you're doing and they're cool with it. Well, right, yeah. Yeah, yeah exactly. Uh, no rules. I mean, broad rules. Just what your group wants, right? Right. So how does Session Zero work? What do you do in Session Zero? Well, I think that's the beauty of Session Zero is that it is always tailored for the particular group that you're playing with. You know, it, it varies. And so you sort of pick and choose what your party and what your particular players need from session zero all right good we punted on that one <laughs> <laughs> well so, so what are some things you can get from session zero so so i think the most important thing is for new groups this is a good chance to talk social contract yeah right so you can just hey we're meeting at my house here are the ground rules here's here's how we're going to play our game right? yeah we're playing vampire the masquerade 
are you cool with that? Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. You can, you can get past all those kind of questions, right? Mm -hmm. And then you can get into the background information of the setting. So if you're running an Eberron campaign, cool. But let's make sure everyone has that basic understanding of Eberron. And if you've done anything different in an established setting, highlight those differences. No one wants to walk into 40K and then find out you've made this little corner of the universe noble bright. <laughs> like, <laughs> right? Like, we came from Grimdark, so, you know. Yeah, and it's great for players who don't have any experience with a particular setting because you'll usually have other players who do. And then it is not your entire responsibility as the GM to explain it over email or, you know, outside a session when you're just hanging out to someone. You don't need to sell someone on it. The other players do it for you. Yeah, and that ex that excitement kind of builds, right? It mm -hmm. becomes this mutually self-fulfilling kind of excitement. This is also a good time to talk about character creation guidelines. This could be as simple as, hey, do we roll 3d6 down the line or do we roll 4d6 drop The answer one? is always no, you do not roll 3d6 down the line. <laughs> you were never supposed to roll 3d6 down the line. <laughs> no one read that. <laughs> Just because the DMG came out six months after the php and the php had no rules <laughs> anyway first edition problems i find this is a good time as a gm to sort of solicit input from the players because you may have an idea in your head of what kind of character creation guidelines you want to offer or what homebrew rules you're going to use some other players may say oh can we try this instead or how do you feel about me going in this direction and those are things that can happen not just one-on-one, -on -one, but across the table. And then it is actually, I find, much easier to shut down something that is too powerful or sort of an unreasonable request if other people at the table are going, Ugh, mm, I don't know if I'm cool with that. Yeah. I, I mean, in 5th edition, this is as simple as like, are you allowing multiclassing? Mm -hmm. Are you allowing feats? Right. Right? Because that's Can I gonna... use variant human? Right. Exactly. Yeah. Because if not, you're changing the way the characters interact. And, and that's not even getting into all of the optional rules in the DMG. Right. Right. Things as simple as the amount of time required to rest. Mm -hmm. If it takes you a week to do a long rest, well, maybe I choose my classes a little differently now. Right. right? Are we using flanking? Are we using a battle map? Right. And then, you know, hey, you don't like the warlock. I don't like the warlock. Ban the warlock from the game good idea to let people know that up front <laughs> it better better to do it in session zero than when somebody shows up with their favorite warlock character they've ever made at session one or even tries at level six to multi-class into warlock yeah yeah like we said it's a good time for players to talk about their character concepts and then to run them by the gm because this is now a very good time for gms to start thinking about okay what does the party makeup look like how does that affect the way that I am planning or building this campaign? What are the motivations of these PCs? How does that affect the goals that I'm setting for them? How does it affect the general arc that I'm planning this campaign to take? Yeah, I think that's the most important thing to take out of Session Zero, less so than the mechanical implementation. I mean, limitations aside, right? This is a game. You do have to kind of define that. But in terms of who is my character, at least at the start, so that everyone has an idea of what their niche in the party is going to be. Yeah, our session zero for the Morning Glory campaign told me so much about what our Eberron game was going to look like because... I... <laughs> yeah, when you have the Dalkir-focused warlock, <laughs> right? you know things are going to get aberrant. Was, yep, that, that was going to be in the game. Yeah. You know? And I had 
a paladin from Seer, so obviously the day of mourning was going to figure. It wasn't even called Morning Glory at that point. For all I knew, you know, people wanted to go to Zendrick and, you know, spelunking the entire time. They still do. Yeah. I mean, I got them there eventually. Yeah. You know? <laughs> but maybe it was going to be a Sarlona game, you know? Right, right. But no one brought a Kalashtar. Right. No one so, was interested in a Kalashtar. So no psionics. Yeah, exa- exactly. I didn't have anyone who needed psionics, so we just sort of hand-waved it and ignored it. No changelings, no shifters. So I didn't need to focus on that. I had a Warforged, so I wanted that to feature prominently. And then you had the bard, Emery, who was... Who, who sort of fiend slayish? Well, she what she brought to the table was my family was killed by devils. Right. Well, perfect. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and you can see the elements of the Morning Glory campaign weren't there until these character personalities existed. It could have been an, an extraordinarily different campaign with totally different bad guys if the motivations and the interests of these players and PCs had been different. Yeah, I think about the Deadlands campaign that we just ran, right? We just we just finished in our home game. We sat down, a, a few of us, we weren't all there for session zero, but we, we were kind of like, all right, so what are you guys thinking, <laughs> right? And it was like, oh, I want to be a British guy who's also from the South <laughs> like, with a silver tongue. Because that's what happens in Deadlands. <laughs> right, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and then somebody else was like, okay, but I'm, I'm thinking like a huckster, so... Like maybe someone Doc Holiday-ish, right? It's like, okay, all right. What? How could these two get together? And somebody else is like, I'm like really obsessed with like Eastern medicine and like philosophy, but I'm basically just a big brute. <laughs> it's like, all right, I got you. <laughs> like, welcome to the party, right? We're all piecing it together. Right? Mm-hmm. And in something that can be a lot more impromptu, like Deadlands and you know a Savage World campaign in general, you can almost build that on the fly. Yeah, I guess. I don't know that I would say that's really a quality of Savage Worlds. I, I mean, especially compared to games like Fate, where you're actually creating aspects and bonds between your characters as part of character creation, where you go to the player to your left and you explain some piece of your background together that you share, that that creates an aspect for you. I mean, that's a lot more involved than Savage Worlds. Well, this is certainly the ideal time to do that. I think a lot of parties sort of breeze over the bonds section in the PHB when you're sort of selecting those between uh, the different player characters. Oh yeah, in 5th edition definitely, Mm -hmm. yeah. There's a spot for it on your character sheet and I feel like everybody always picks one that's external to the party. Right. It's like oh, my my bond is to my country or uh, in in Brand's case it was to the Silver Flame. And that's fine, but it does mean you're probably going to spend the first 6 or 7 levels really trying to tie the party together right why is it that they're going to adventure together in the first place well i was going to say for morning glory though the fact that we all chose external relationships kind of made our group sort of an uneasy alliance right Mm -hmm. like we we grew connections to each other afterwards but at the end of the day we were all basically pursuing our own agenda that were in alignment and spoilers towards the end of the campaign but as we started sort of reaching our personal goals our motivations started to waver a little bit. It, it wasn't always clear who was in and who was out mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and what you were willing to sacrifice at the point where you've already kind of started to achieve what you're aiming for. Yeah, and it's interesting in retrospect that getting buy-in for each arc was something that I needed to do as a GM. And that all stemmed from the fact that in session zero, the bonds that the players picked right. were external and not with each other. Right. 
which is why this is an excellent time to figure out a group motivation. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, for us, it turned out to be we want to save the world. <laughs> Always a handy one. I like to keep yeah. that one in my back pocket. Yeah. It, we're not the ideal group, but we are the one that's here. <laughs> yeah. So, right. You know, given... I mean, that, that's why I wrote Prophecy Number 2. The second half of it was a key lies with you, 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 and you. Yeah. All right. All right. Fine. All right. I'm in for this prophecy. You. Okay. Like, I'm a little offended at how you characterized me here. Right. And I'm not quite sure which one I am. It's going to take I'm a little, good one, right? It's going to take a little process of elimination here. <laughs> no, no, who is this with the bleak gray soul? <laughs> at least I have a soul. Right. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, this could be as simple as why are we even starting this adventure together? Right. Because we're off to save the world is not usually where you start at level one. No, typically not. Yeah. <laughs> Although, that could be cool. Yeah, I could totally get into a campaign. I mean, that's that's a lot like 40K, actually, if you think of yeah, level one characters. If you're playing as an Imperial, in a lot of ways, you're trying to save the Imperium from almost certain death. Yeah, Death Watch, certainly. Yeah. 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 Or uh, Eclipse Phase. Humanity's hanging on by a thread. Oh, that's true. Yeah. What's left of it? <laughs> what, what hasn't been? Transhumanity. Yeah, exactly. Post-human. And then there's some other things that are may not apply in every situation, but I think are, are usually helpful that you also want to consider. So mm. this is where I would put building characters. In some systems, and I'm thinking of older AD&D editions, um, 40K, where you've got random character creation, this can be a lot of fun to build characters together. Right. In a game like 5th edition, where you don't have to have randomness, you can do point by, you can choose your bonds and flaws and ideals, like, there's not a whole lot. You can have your concept as a group and then go off and implement your character individually. Mm -hmm. But I will say, this is a great way if you've got a few system masters to help other players along in building their character, right? Yeah. If you've got new players and old players, this is a good chance to just kind of intermix. Yeah, we've talked about the method actor and we've talked about the munchkin. This is a great time for both of them to sit down at the table and for the method actor to say, here's what I want to be able to do. And the munchkin to say, let me do that for you yeah. so I have less time to do it on mine. <laughs> right, but if you are the munchkin, remember, you're working on their character concept, right. not yours. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, and I mean, I think that's, we tend to be in that role a lot in our session zeros because we like to read systems and get into the crunch of it. Uh, so we've just kind of naturally got that broader view of like, oh, do you remember this talent? <laughs> like, I think there's something that will help you in melee smashing people's faces. Yeah. Right? Oh, you want to be a sniper? Have you looked at this? And I think other people in the group appreciate that because they know they can go, hold on. I mean, I want to do this. Which, I don't want to read through all of this. What What's the best option in this chapter? Yeah, yeah exactly. Just tell me which one. <laughs> Fill me in here. <laughs> Obviously, it's the recoil glove. Right. <laughs> yeah, uh, especially when you have, like, heavy equipment lists in systems. Oh, if, yeah. if you don't have somebody who's ready to go through it, like, unfortunately, we are, apparently. <laughs> yeah. Hey, don't worry, guys. I built a spreadsheet. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, as, as a DM or a GM, though, this is another good time to tease your plot hook and start building some excitement. As you're introducing the background of the campaign, it's, it's a good idea to tease out where is this campaign starting. Yeah, you're probably going to have at least one or two players who don't necessarily know what they want to play or what they want to build. So this is a great time to go, well, here's what other people are doing. Here is what I'm envisioning the direction is going to be. Here are the cool things that are potentially going to happen to you guys. And that can really help get their creative juices flying about, you know, what kinds of 
things they want out of this game and what they want to play. Yeah, especially if you've got those players who have like emergent backgrounds, right? They don't like to plan large swaths of their backgrounds. They mm-hmm. kind of like to build it as they go sort of thing. And they, they want to learn who their character is by playing it. Um, this can really help them get started, pick an area where they can begin their journey. In fact, you can just start in session zero. You can play a little prelude. Yeah, I like this a lot if you're starting with a new system. Mm-hmm. Because, and particularly combat, just because combat tends to be a large time investment and where a lot of mechanical heft is in the games that we play. If you get a trial combat, you've built your character, you thought, oh, okay, so I'm going to use a net and a trident. (laughs) That's my build. Never works. Well, yeah, then you find out, man, nets suck. (laughs) (laughs) I don't want to do that anymore. I'm going to change characters. (laughs) Yeah, it's a good opportunity for you to let people... It's not even a retcon at this point, but, you know, to change up their builds before they sort of get wedded to them. Yeah. You know, for a new group, this is a great way to get used to the dynamic at the table, right? How does your DM run combat? Right. Which dice do you add and which dice do you compare? Right. Of course, you don't necessarily need to do a full-on in-person session zero. Yeah. I hear about groups that meet once a month, you know, and I'm like, man, if September was just creating a character... Mm. I feel like I would skip the session. <laughs> like <laughs> like I, I waited all month for my one, you know, the one Saturday that we play, and then I built a character. I built tons of characters. <laughs> so, you know, what are some other options then if you don't want to spend a whole session on your session zero? Well, you could just do it remotely. Yeah, this is great if logistics are the challenge, right? You can just do it like Skype or Hangouts where everyone just logs in use a webcam and a microphone and then you're kind of doing your session zero collaboratively but not necessarily on such a strict timeline as we got to carve out four hours on saturday morning this week or it's not going to work right and especially if you're playing with a group where you've got a long way to travel or it's just difficult i mean here in the city obviously it's usually easier to get together yeah yeah well for us yeah but if you live in a more suburban city Mm -hmm. or even rural and you're driving you know an hour and a half to a game yeah. yeah yeah Or you've got a crazy work schedule or mm-hmm. whatever. I mean, there's plenty plenty Maybe. of reasons. Yeah. Um, you can also do it offline. And this is, I think, most commonly used when you're introducing a new player to an existing campaign. Mm. But email is also a great way to do a session zero. You know, you can send everybody an email. And everyone, if everyone is participating and everyone is committed to participate with email, you can share ideas, right? You can kick ideas around. And, and as a GM, you've got to be ready to facilitate that because... You can't go ghost on an email thread. <laughs> right. I mean, we get together every week and we like in-game session zeros, but we still do these email threads, you know, every time that we're about to start a new campaign or move on to a new system. You know, whoever is jamming that sends out a big thread with all of the info and then everybody sort of weighs in and we start spitballing ideas. Right. I will say it's good to have the thread, but it can be a lot of work as a GM if the kinds of questions that you're getting asked are the things that only you can answer, you know, like specifics about the game that you're going to play or the campaign that's coming up as opposed to mechanical questions about the system itself that anyone could answer. Yeah, yeah. Or, I mean, published setting helps here a lot, Mm. uh, especially if you're not the only one who knows the setting, right? Because it's easy for another player to jump in and say, hey, like, have you thought about 
this dragon marked house right exactly if you were running your personal homebrew setting and no one else is as familiar with the lore it's really difficult for anyone else to answer the question about like does this heraldry make sense for my family right or you're you're running it in that anime that you're the only one who's seen it's like uh, i don't uh, know what you're talking about <laughs> I, I mean that's never a problem for me there's no anime that i've ever seen period much less that no one else has i find that hard to believe uh, and then there's a hybrid method, uh, and I think this works best for like virtual tabletops. But when you have players that need to log in to create a character into into whatever the tabletop is, just getting that done in, before the first session, but not all at once, can work. I think the drawback here is that if all the players aren't together, you're really only interacting with the DM, right? So he's going to have a heavier hand in shaping the direction and and makeup of the group. Yeah, this can be useful for GMs who want that, who want to sort of carefully curate the ideas at the table. And it, it might work better if you don't all necessarily know each other in real life. You know, if the extent of your relationship is we game together, then often it can make a lot more sense to keep a tighter grip on the reins. Or if the extent of your relationship is we all signed up in this LFG thread. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want you to know too much about me and I'm certainly not going to tell you where I live. Right. <laughs> <laughs> there will be no Skype, sir. <laughs> uh, yeah, and then, and then the other obvious drawback there is just you're going to have fewer spontaneous character ideas emerging when you have fewer people involved, right? And that's sort of that serendipitous benefit of Session Zero overall. I will say that it can feel like a session zero is a lot of effort and time put into not playing. Yeah. But for long-term campaigns especially, it really pays off. I have to say, we've done session zero for all of our Dark Heresy games, mm -hmm. which the 40K RPGs have very random character creation. And those are some of the most fun. <laughs> like, yeah. As, as we're all rolling to find out what is our name, <laughs> right? <laughs> like, like we all have an idea of what we're hoping for. And then it, it gradually shifts as each random roll comes in. It's like, all right, I've started with a concept. It can still work. It can still work. It won't work anymore. Right. All right. What am I now? Pivot. No, no psychers. <laughs> yeah, okay. <exactly. laughs> like, no willpower. I'm not special. <laughs> not a combat character. Like I'm, at all, yeah. <laughs> I find myself the nerd <laughs> <laughs> again. And then you know the other piece of that is once we've got these worked out, we're trying to figure out how do we know each other, how are we aligned, right? So your character and our friend Jim's character were both Imperial Navy background. You guys just decided that you served together. So when you shared a homeworld with another player, it turned out you knew half the party before we even got to the campaign, right? Whereas in our previous Dark Heresy game that Jim was running, you and I decided off the bat that we would be brothers. Right. And the roles... Were a little weird. <laughs> <laughs> we had to stretch that a little bit. <laughs> Why are they so different? And then when rolling for what you look like. <laughs> right, yeah. We looked exact opposites. Uh, that, that was one, too, where we got a little gm buy-in and he was he was ready to work with us if we couldn't make both of our concepts work exactly and that wouldn't have been able to happen or wouldn't have happened nearly as easily if we didn't have a session zero and we had just both sort of shown up with these character concepts or these ideas and then said okay but no we really need some exceptions to the rules right yeah <laughs> no trust us <laughs> hey oh. everybody we want to be a psyker and an untouchable right. 
a psyker and the guys who blunt psykers. Right. Let me think. My two biggest munchkin players right. have an idea. And they want to cancel each other out. <laughs> <laughs> Literally one of them will cancel out the other on purpose. <laughs> what could go wrong? All right. Do you hear that, Ishan? Is that the terrible clatter of two D10s both landing on ones? I guess you're stuck with a 22 toughness. That's the sound of me rolling my D100 for my strength <laughs> and rolling a one. As me clicking re-roll in Baldur's Gate for three hours. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think that's it. I think it's time to move on to the character creation forge. Oh, right. Okay. Before we do that, let's talk about how our listeners can get in contact with us. We do love hearing from you. You can tweet at Shane, at Mundangerous, that's M-U-N Dangerous. And you can tweet at Ishan, at Evil Sends Carne, that's Malice Minus Meat. And you can tweet at the show, at TPT Cast. You can also email us, if you can't fit it into 140 characters, at TotalPartyThrill at gmail.com. And last but not least, you can find us on the web at www.TotalPartyThrillCast.com. So this week on the Character Creation Forge, we promised you the Fist of the Forest, which is less naughty than it sounds. <laughs> yeah, so when I originally pitched this as a character concept, I was envisioning a druid monk. The beast-shaped druid who uses his monk abilities to karate chop as, say, an orangutan or a giant ape. <laughs> now, in your defense, in 3.5, the Fist of the Forest was a prestige class. I played one. Uh, it was excellent for doing that. Why wouldn't you add one level of monk to your druid so that your dragon shape could get wisdom to AC. Yeah. Obviously. Yeah, right. And then unarmed claw attacks. Yeah. Well, unfortunately, that isn't going to work in 5th edition. Okay, maybe fortunately. <laughs> yeah. Okay, fair <laughs> enough. So don't let anything fool you. We will get into the technical minutia of the mechanics, but basically the problem is when you're in beast shape, you don't take the attack action. You take a different named action. Right. You could take the attack action, but it's just usually not the best option. Yeah, yeah. And all of the monk's abilities, though, key off of making an attack. Right. So you find yourself in quite a pickle. Yes. But I think what we came up with really sticks to the idea of the class as it was envisioned in 3.5, which is basically an an unarmed and monk-like fighter who has nature abilities and spends its time outdoors and you know defends the wild yeah my concept here that we were going for you are as sturdy as an oak you are as violent as a tempest it's very mulan yeah (laughs) which of course makes it excellent (laughs) all right well it's got plenty of monk so uh the build is way of the long death 11 broken yeah already broken (laughs) no just very good very hard to kill yes uh then we like take, a tree. Right, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Then we take Champion Fighter 3, Ranger 2, and Druid 4. Oh, we got some Ranger in there. This will, of course, be the Land Druid so that you can take Forest. <laughs> 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 because you are the Fist of the Forest and not the Fist of the... Moon. Yeah, Marsh. <laughs> swamp. <Coast. laughs> All right, so what order are we taking these classes in? All right, this is, this is silly. Uh, we start Ranger 2. Mm-hmm. because forest, natural. We then take monk. That will give you some martial arts. We then take fighter to get great weapon fighting style, which you will, of course, use a quarter staff. Obviously. 
uh, probably just a tree branch, to be clear. Works great with Hunter's Mark, which you get from Ranger 2. Exactly. And then we'll take Druid 1. Which, now at this point... We are a fifth level character with four different classes. <laughs> but you have all of the iconic abilities for this character covered. You've got some Druid spells. You're really good in melee combat. You make multiple attacks. You don't even need any weapons, and you certainly don't need any armor. This is true. Because one of the problems with multiclassing this much early on in a melee character is that you delay your extra attack. But Monk really mitigates that. Yeah, because you can make two attacks in a round anyway using your uh, martial arts. Mm Mm-hmm you've got it mitigated a little bit. Right, and you know, if you really need to, you can spend your one key point to flurry. Uh, you won't have a key point until Monk 2, which well, you will well, get... Never mind, you'll use martial arts. Yeah, <laughs> which you will get at character level 6. <laughs> so after that, we'll go Monk and get our extra attack. And then and our stunning strike. Uh, yeah, and stunning strike. And then from there, you're just picking the best flavor next ability that you can. So Fighter will get Action Surge, for example, which is a lot of fun when you've got extra attack as a monk because you can make six attacks in a round. Mm -hmm. The third level of fighter gets you uh, an increased crit range as a champion. You know, obviously you get monk goodies. Druid is nice because it's mostly going to give you spell slots that you can spend for Hunter's Mark, which is really how you're boosting your damage as a ranger because that'll give you an extra D6 damage against your target. On all of your decks. On every attack. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Not a D12? No, no. Well, we don't want to be a blood hunter now. Oh, okay. Yeah. One of the reasons that I like doing all of the multiclassing early on is that once you have sort of all the pieces covered, right, the abilities of a character, you can then take the classes in whatever order you want, sort of in response to the story, the way that that's developed, you know. So if your character finds himself in a difficult situation because they didn't have the right spell, perhaps then they're going to take a bit more druid. Yeah, or likewise, if they are concerned about their ability to survive (laughs) they might take a little more monk right because that monk 11 capstone is beautiful yeah yeah so the way the long death capstone uh anytime you are reduced to zero hit points you can spend a key point to instead be reduced to one and you've got 11 key points and they refresh on a short rest yes man you're hard to kill yeah you are not easy to kill at all you're not even vulnerable to fire would you say that you're sturdy as an oak i would say you are as tough as the mountain oh you can only be eroded away over time (laughs) yes right (laughs) high level monks (laughs) seriously seriously 11 rounds right (laughs) (laughs) all right so tell me how does your fist of the forest become a fist of the forest since she starts off as a ranger i think the first two levels is pretty typical lives in the woods makes a living in the outdoors probably a hunter spends time defending uh, a frontier. And then either through some kind of tragedy or maybe even an epiphany on a cold winter's night in a forest clearing, she then turns down a more meditative path. And I think anyone who spent a, a lot of time outdoors, or particularly those who live off their wits in the wild, can understand that allure of really searching for that that inner tranquility that can come from being at one with or in tune with the rhythms of nature. And I like that that can be really well emulated with the abilities of the monk. Sounds like a hermit. Yeah, hermit background would be nice, actually. And then you get that discovery 
feature, yeah. which is really nice. You can use some, for something. And then I like that they, they then also hone their martial abilities because they realize, well, in order to actually defend the wild and in order to defend myself from bears as well, I need to be more combat capable. And then that then leads into this really deep understanding of nature, which reveals itself as uh, druidic magic. Hmm. Okay. I like that. I would actually take it almost in a in a more primal direction. You always do. Yeah. Thanks. <laughs> you wanted to get Barbarian in here. I did try and get Barbarian in here. Uh, it was a few builds ago. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I would start as Ranger for the usual kind of Ranger reasons. And then the character kind of moves increasingly towards righting the wrongs against nature. Hmm. So as you, you know, you take Ranger you meditate on it. You learn from nature as you're exposed to it. You understand that you know, animals in the wild don't use tools. They don't use weapons. You become a monk, <laughs> right? You're developing that sort of uh, empty-handed style. You then you learn the viciousness of, of the way that they attack. That's, that's your fighter. As you get druid spells, right, you're learning to manipulate and protect. And so as you keep going, everything is, is helping to build you more towards that sturdy as an oak violent as a tempest right it almost becomes the mantra that you're living by that you're trying to embody right and i think that fits the monk super well of like take a very simple phrase and make your whole life around it <laughs> and just pragmatically living to that standard as much as possible i like it so anytime you start with a character concept that's pithy <laughs> monk works really well cohen's <laughs> right <laughs> any character that plays this fist of the forest i think should adhere to the tenets of the 3.5 prestige class you must live outside and live off the wild yeah this isn't going to fit in every campaign unfortunately and especially if you tie yourself too tightly to a single place right that, that was one thing that i wanted to make sure i didn't do was tie myself to a specific forest mm -hmm. because then you're going to have a very hard time adventuring right you're going to have to have a very broad worldview to understand the implications of leaving your forest to protect it right or you're gonna to have to have a huge threat like <laughs> if galactus eats my forest <laughs> there won't be a forest well you could hash that out in session zero yeah, that's a good idea but galactus is coming right <laughs> all right if you want to support the show the easiest way to do that is to leave us a five-star review on itunes and if you're willing to help us out we'll read your five-star review on the air you can also find us on Stitcher. It's like a Pandora for podcasts. If you like or favorite us there, the algorithm will help other people find us. We are also on the brand new Google Play, but you could break it down old school and just tell a friend. If you have one. I'm sure our listeners have friends. Our listener. Fine. I have friends. <laughs> Your mom doesn't count. <laughs> All right, I have no friends. She's a fan of the show, though. That's not true. <laughs> I... Uh... <laughs> so true story i introduced her to hello from the magic tavern which is a improv comedy podcast she's listened to like a dozen episodes of that she hasn't listened to a single episode of ours <laughs> she got tired of hearing my voice i was i was actually just gonna say she hates mine yeah once no Fair. once once i put that on her on her iphone it was game over for us <laughs> we just got replaced well 
at least one person does listen to us because we've got a new five-star review. Yeah, and let me apologize in advance for this. This was on the UK iTunes, and the way iTunes segregates by country, it's extremely hard to find reviews outside of your home country. So I just got to this. This is actually from February 10th. This one is by Domit. I'm at uni at the moment, and since I've been there, I haven't had time or the company to play D&D with. I'm finishing up in June, and I'm preparing for a new campaign right now. Since being at uni, 5th edition has come out, and it's really intuitive. But it makes me feel like D&D is completely new to me again. This podcast has been easing me in, and it's making me consider things I hadn't considered before. It's really damn good. Thanks, guys. Well, it is now June. So congratulations on finishing. (laughs) (laughs) We hope. Welcome to the real world. It sucks. (laughs) Which is why every week we get together and pretend we're other people. Exactly. (laughs) And then also get together to have a podcast talking about pretending to be other people. Oh, right. Yeah. Also that. But yes, thank you for the kind words, Domin. I hope you're still listening. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So in case he is still listening, what do we have planned for next week's episode? We're going to be talking about one of my very favorite things prophecies and in the character creation forge we're building a combat oracle well that's it for episode 44 of total party thrill i hope we've lived up to our name but either way i'm shane and i'm ishan thanks for listening 